You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. We're privileged to have in our midst um, the true apostle of God. And uh, oftentimes I have to control myself not to say too much because um, if you've been around him for some time, you know that there are people who claim to be things, but there are people that you know you can see the true signs of apostleship upon their lives. It's not just the appellation, but it's by reason of the face-to-face encounter he had with Jesus who sent him to go teach my people the way of righteousness. And... Um, this righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. And that's the reason for this conference. It's part of what we need. The just shall live by faith. Am I correct? Yes. So, I want us to receive to the microphone, um, our Father in the Lord, Abraham Sam Ayedogbo. Come on, let's welcome him. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You may please be seated. Okay, you're trying to give me the rugby feeling. Is that right? I think you're going to beat me in that game. <laughs> so I will drag you to another, <laughs> another mode. I think we should give it a military approach this afternoon. By the way, let's put our hands together for the worship team. Powerful. Yeah. I was trying to be sure it was Teo that I saw. I used to call him Teo Fresh. Yeah, where is I was asking Pastor Eric, is that Teo Fresh? He said, yes. I said, he's put on some weight. <laughs> Church is good. God is good. Mar- marriage is good. <laughs> Joburg is better than Cape Town. No, is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you said that. I didn't say that. Yeah, so when you see people that used to be tiny like me, and they begin to put on more weight. Um, you say the word has become flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Farai, where is Farai? Is there a, yeah, we, we can't, I don't know why. And Ryan is the worst. <laughs> yeah, this, the word is becoming flesh, eh? <laughs> Your wife is trying. <laughs> yeah, praise God. GD, yeah, the word has become flesh. So the rest of us were still processing the word. <laughs> uh, I learned the ladies had a powerful time this morning, and it's to our advantage. I hope you know. <laughs> the closer your spouse or the women, the closer they are to God, the better for us. The first time that Eve did not turn towards God and turn the other's way, you remember? And the man did nothing. So, they have drawn close to God, so we won't have the tragedy that came in through Eve any longer. But we also want to uh, ensure that we don't keep repeating the failure of Adam. It's the sin of doing nothing uh, in any context. And I think uh, for many of us, and the 
the Christian, the Christian fold, uh, we're, we're more guilty of our, our, our fault. Our error is in doing the wrong thing, not just doing nothing. There are people that do nothing at all. And, you know, that is bad enough. But doing the wrong thing can even cause more trouble, more complication uh, than doing nothing. <laughs> I don't know which one to choose. Yeah, but you complicate things more. I'm sure if you have a head condition, I think doctors will tell you. Uh, yeah. If you didn't do anything about it until you meet a, a professional, you may speak with being in good shape. But if you get into self-medication, you may complicate things more. And so they will have said, uh, uh, you shouldn't have done anything. Maybe you should have just come to the right person. So we have these two categories among Christians. Those who do nothing about their nation. Those who do nothing about uh, what the devil is doing in their life. Uh, what is going wrong within them. They just don't do anything about it. They just allow the free fall. But there are people, I think the majority of us have been occupied doing the wrong things. Did you get what I said? So we, we don't want to repeat the error of Adam that didn't do anything when the serpent came knocking. But also we want to stop doing the wrong thing. Yeah, because I don't know which is a lesser evil, but I think the two sides of that coin of evil. If you don't do anything, evil will take over. See, the serpent came in in the garden. The devil came and he was introduced as a serpent. By the time you get to the book of Revelation, he's become not a python, but a dragon. So if you let the devil in and you don't do the needful, he's going to grow. He will occupy space. He will dominate. He will take over. And uh, at the end of the day, you can just figure him out in the book of Revelation. He's become a monster. In heaven, when Satan tried to make a move that was not in line with the will of God. He was resisted. He was stopped. Revelation 12 says, Michael and his angel fought the dragon and his angel. They resisted them until there was no more space for them in heaven. And they were pushed out of heaven. It doesn't matter which context you apply, whether it was historical or current or apocalyptic, whether it's prophecy. It doesn't matter. The principle there is wherever Satan tried to rear his head, one, don't fail to do nothing. Two, don't do the wrong thing. You must know how to stand to resist him until there is no room for him, until he's pushed out. So and I think that's what I want us to do a little bit this afternoon. I say we're going to leave the rugby zone and go the military way. Uh, we want to stand to withstand the devil. Wherever he has gained access, we want to resist him. I love First Peter that says in chapter 5, resist the devil and he will flee. 
So Achille is a coward. Satan is not as strong as, as uh, we think he is. Um, I think he's more strategic than he's strong. His strength is in his being strategic. His, he, he operates strategic intelligence. For a long time, I realized that Satan, unfortunately, is smarter than many religious people. So he beat us in our religion. As a matter of fact, he can contribute to your religion. You know. uh, yeah, he can, <laughs> he can participate in your religion. He can, if you're not careful, he will take over and become the God you are worshiping by proxy. So, but he's not as strong. He's just smart. And you see that in demons, when a demon is cast out in one place, he doesn't come back alone to fight. He goes to look for how many demons? Seven. Seven that are weaker than him? No. Don't you think that is strategic? <laughs> when Christians are defeated in one area, they don't tell other Christians. <laughs> now, some can't even tell some pastors and some preachers because they will preach, use it for preaching. <laughs> if you confide in some people, they, they're going to come out. In the, so people just say, you know what? Let me keep fighting alone. I did a message many years ago. Kings don't fight alone. And so I saw, how can demons be smarter? You beat a demon and cast him out. And he says, it's not your fault. It's because I'm alone. And he goes to tell seven demons that are higher in rank of wickedness. And he tells them, I know you are superior. <laughs> it's because I didn't recognize that. That's why they messed me up. <laughs> In every nation, Midrand. <laughs> then the, the senior demon would say, how did it feel when they were praying? He said, I felt, as, uh, at a stage, it was like fire burning me, but at a stage, I became unconscious. I didn't know how I got out. Then this demon figures out, he said, you know what? I can't handle that. I know another superior demon. So until they connect seven. And the Lord ended the narrative in Matthew 12, by saying, the end of the man they occupy is worse than the beginning. So can't you say strategic progression? <laughs> strategic engagement. So probably some area you and I are struggling and fighting and falling and rising is because of it. you kept going back alone. You kept going back alone. It's not that the opponent is strong. It's just that you're not applying divine intelligence. When I used to struggle with lust, you can call it youthful lust. <laughs> you know, lusting after the opposite sex. And, and I, I was born again into a movement that emphasized holiness. You know, and then when the Lord met with me, he also said, go teach my people, the way of righteousness. So I knew holiness, righteousness for me was not an option. No, but that did not exempt me from struggling. From struggling. <laughs> did you get what I'm saying? I once said this uh, somewhere in, in, in my country. You know, we were so trained that if you have a lot of thoughts, 
or you watch something explicit, you saw it, you know, you feel so bad because Jesus says it's not just in the act of doing it. He goes to the root of the problem. He says, it's not when you do it. You use your eyes to see and you lost with your eyes and with your heart. So which have done damage to, you know, people that are hooked on phonography and all of that. Punk. Because you use your eyes and then you lost with your eyes and use your imagination and you're ruined. And Satan can be telling you, well, you have not really engaged a woman. But you are engaging digitally, you are engaging, you know, in the cyberspace, you are engaging on your phone, you are engaging on your laptop, you are engaging everywhere. You are engaging with your eyes, with your heart. You're just not holding somebody. So when I was struggling, every time, you know, the thought overwhelms me, I look for someone to confess to. Not that I, I had anything to do with the lady. I look for someone. This is the funny part. At the early stage, the only person I could confess to was a friend that, you know, we gave our life to Christ about the same time. You know? And, but I was more devoted than him. I was more passionate. I was more committed. You can call him a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian, and I, I'm not too sure if he has made too many changes now, 40 years after. <laughs> yeah, he's still around. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to condemn him. I'm not trying to judge him. If we just measure things. And so anyway, but he was the only guy around. So I would go to him. I would say, you know, Ayo, I was lost in my heart. I mean, this loss has gripped my heart again. I don't know what I'm going to do. He would say, kneel down. <laughs> so I remember one day I knelt down. Now, I know within me that I'm better than this guy. <laughs> and it wasn't pride. I, I know. He knew, but he won't admit <laughs> His own pride was, was higher than mine. So he would tell me, kneel down. So I kneel down. And he begins to pray. He talks very fast and very loud. So when he's talking, some speech will come out of his mouth, you know. So he's praying for me. Father, in the name of Jesus. And the speech touches me. And I felt like the speech will sanctify me. <laughs> I felt better with the speech touching me. I was that desperate. But you and I knew that the speech probably complicated matters. Because I later knew that this guy was having a worse trouble than I was doing. He didn't own up. As a matter of fact, he, he later, uh, what will you call it? He, he, he rationalized that it didn't matter. Did you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so he didn't have any, any qualm. So he rationalized. He didn't keep himself. And so, of course, that's why he didn't make much progress in spiritual things. But this is, the, this is the reason I went to this narrative. I realized that every time I, I admit, I confess to him, and he does all of those things, I get better. <laughs> the principle is in not struggling alone. Because the devil rules in darkness. In secrecy. You know the principle of divide and rule? Isolate to conquer. Yeah. So if you want to break 
of people. Divide them. Split them. If you take them together and they resist you, you're not likely going to succeed. That's why in prison, they keep them in different cells. <laughs> That's why only the notorious one. There's solitary confinement. There are people you don't keep together. So the devil isolate us and keep you in, in, you know, in a prison within yourself. So you can just appear good to people. And Satan knows that's where the strength to conquer you, to keep you conquered. That's where it lies. The moment you can let in the light, you are undoing the darkness. Are we talking? Yeah, we're just talking. I don't want to write any stuff. I'm not a professor. I'm not, I'm not giving lecture. I told you about my experience. So which one are you writing? The one I did. You, you got to delete this thing. I'm afraid. Did you put my name, doctor? Did you, did you actually say he said it? <laughs> All right. So um, I think we should do some resistance. That's the mode we've been in. I'm, uh, how do I put it? If I say I'm guilty, it may sound too hard. But I felt guilty until recently that I was one of the preachers for the larger part of some decades. I realized I was doing some great things, but not the right thing. Did you get what I said? Remember I said there's the sin of doing nothing? And I said, you get complicated, probably. Or you may be under an illusion. You may think you are helping the situation. When you're doing the wrong thing with passion, it's called zeal without knowledge. Without accurate knowledge. Right? Doing the wrong thing can kill a patient. For instance, if you get to an emergency room and someone has been in an accident and you case it's in bad shape, it's bleeding. You know the way the lay people respond to that is not how the professionals, the doctors respond. Is that right? If you say a doctor responding like you, then he's not a doctor. <laughs> he's a quack. Okay, take this one. <laughs> Because he, this person will complicate matters. As a matter of fact, when the accident happens, you get to the scene. That's how you don't undo the person. So, wrong handling, doing the wrong thing in your life, in your family, concerning your ministry, in spiritual battle, in business, and politics, name it. Complicate matters. And the devil enjoys that. As long as he knows you're not accurate, you're not in alignment, you're not doing the right thing. As a matter of fact, he may not come head on with you. If he knows that what you're doing will have no impact, he can even back you up. So I want us to take a moment to pray. Number one, if you are among the, the, less, the fewer people that are doing nothing, you will say, Lord, I'm ready to do something today. 
if you have been doing the wrong thing, like I was doing for many years, you will say, Lord, I want to be more accurate. I don't want to miss the mark. You know, the definition of sin is missing the mark. It's focusing on the wrong thing and shooting at the wrong thing. For instance, when you are blaming your crisis on somebody and you are not seeing the parts that concerns you. It's called the blame game. You're just pointing fingers. You have, the blame goes around and then you remain in crisis. The devil enjoys that. So blaming everybody is doing the wrong thing. But to say, when you say, what does God expect me to do? What, what did he mandate me to do? That's what I want us to deal with within the short time. Let's stand up one moment. This is a bit broad. Are there still areas in my life that I'm inactive, passive, that, are, that I'm, you know, completely, completely cut off, not engaging at all, not doing anything, and just allowing the enemy to occupy the space? Is it by? By ignorance, by reason of ignorance. Or is there an act of cowardice, of fear? What can I do when things are so bad? So you enter into resignation. You just, you just resign into despair. Lord, we receive strength to rise up to take a stand concerning our lives, concerning our environment, concerning our nation, concerning the people that are connected with us. We receive strength. We receive grace to rise up to play our parts, to do what we ought to do concerning our spouses. Our children. The strength we want, Lord, is that strength of insight, of understanding. Give us light. Whatever is veiled in darkness, shine your light. And Lord, the second part of our desire of prayer this afternoon is the areas we have been doing the wrong things. Fighting the wrong battles. <laughs> wrong medication. Self-medication. Based on presumption. And assumption. Wherever we've been missing the mark. We need you Lord. To bring us in alignment. It doesn't take you a long time to do a great job within this short time we have. Stare us up. Raise us up. 
reposition us. Bring us in alignment. Help us to be accurate. I will not miss the mark. That the devil will lose the advantage. We receive grace by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Did you pray? Give somebody a high five and say, well, it's, it's, it's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah. Let, let's see them. Let's see now. Yeah. The, the area I wanted us to... Focus this afternoon. Um, when I came, and my wife was going with Pastor Uber. I said, oh, Pastor Uber is different from Uber. <laughs> there is Uber taxi. This is Uber, UBA, United Bank of Africa. That's UBA. <laughs> oh, I just, that's, that's my nickname for her. So, yeah, UBA. Um, so they were going, and I met them, and I told my wife, oh, you guys are going. I said, uh, I want to continue with the men where we stopped on Thursday. And she said, that's not fair. <laughs> we are going to miss that. <laughs> and I said, but we missed what you guys just did. Then I went to Pastor Eric's room and the office, and the Holy Spirit said, she's right. She's always right, you know. That's the reason I don't like this whole contest. She's always right. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says, no. We started together on Thursday. Let's continue together in the evening. So I'm going to leave that till evening. So I began to pray. Uh, till the last moment, I need to be sure that I won't say the wrong thing. That's the difficulty. It's not about what to preach. I mean, when you are preached for decades, <laughs> you have an archive of sermons. <laughs> but when you pick the wrong one, and you can download also. You know you can download sermons already made. It's about the right one. And sometimes you are asking God, like as I asked through the night, and you know, times I was awake, and uh, there was no comment about continuing. I wanted to continue where we stopped on Thursday until my wife made the comment. And I went to the office and then later the Holy Spirit said, yes, it's right. I said, what is it now you're just telling me? I have a very short time remaining. Yeah, so, but finally, I had let the men embrace the spirit of justice. Embracing the spirit of justice. You're going to discover that it applies within the context of your personal life, your family life, your career, your vocation, whatever is your area of, you know, whatever is your undertaking. It affects every aspect. It affects your environment, your community. It affects the nation. It affects your generation. 
when you're able to embrace the spirit of divine justice. It touches everything. As a matter of fact, it should drive everything. And I think because there was no enough awareness, thank God the Holy Spirit said in Daniel chapter 12 that in the last days, knowledge will increase. And men will go to and fro. Some commentators say it's because people will be able to go to and fro that will make knowledge increase. Another one say, because knowledge increase or will increase, <laughs> that when knowledge increases, you don't stay in one place. You, you move about to get stuff done, which is true, like what technology has done. Yeah, you can be in one place and be touching many places. Okay. But for knowledge to increase also, you need to go to and fro because traveling is also learning. It's, it's, it's a form of schooling. If your eyes are open. So knowledge has increased even much more than when the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. From the day of Pentecost, as glorious, as golden as that era was, they were still in the infantile stage. In the realm of the spirit, knowledge has increased. But unfortunately, there's a religious movement that have condescended below the level of the infant church that was born on the day of Pentecost. The, you know, when, when you get off the lane, on the, get off the track, you see, you, you're going to be deteriorating. So you see that the quality of faith that's been, that's been demonstrated, you see that the type of, of spirituality that's been promoted and the manifestation of the power has fallen short of the standard of the early church. But the early church were at an infantile stage. That was not the mature church. That wasn't the mature church. But some effort now is like, let's get back to how the early church was. Well, maybe we need to go back, backward, so we can make progress forward. Go get what we miss from that early church, but not to stay where they were. Do you see that Paul later came and began to add to what Peter knew? Did you get that? Peter was a pillar in the early church. But by the time Paul connected with the realm of the third heavens, he could correct Peter. And Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says there were, there were things revealed to Paul, our brother Paul, that are difficult to understand. Peter was saying, even me, I struggled to catch up with Paul. And Peter was walking together with Jesus. Paul wasn't there. So it's not about physical intimacy. It's not about physical interaction. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, but the present day church, by and large, have gone below the level where Peter and Co. were at the early stage. Whereas there is a call upon us with increase of knowledge to progress, to push things forward. Peter said, I write to you who have received the same precious faith like we received. 
And then the question is, what did they do with their own faith? What are we doing with our own faith? We're using our own faith for self-centeredness. But part of what they did with their faith was to affect people around them, affect the environment. They were fearless. They put all their life into it. They were not trying to secure their life. Like Jesus said, you try to secure your life, you lose it. They're not trying to say, well, you know, I need, you know, to be sure of income so that my family and I can be comfortable, then I can push. No, it was their life. They put their life to drive it. And they were ready to sacrifice their life for it. I think we have the same quality of faith with the early church, but we don't have the same commitment. We don't have the same passion. Knowledge has increased more than what they had. But we're doing less with what we know. And it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, so. But Paul came and took things to another level. Well, but part of what was missing in the early church, to the best of my understanding, is that there's an aspect of God established from the Old Testament and remember, Jesus didn't have a New Testament to read. The apostles didn't have a New Testament to read. They made the New Testament. So the scriptures they had was the Old Testament. And there are things well established in the Old Testament. Not meant to be discarded, to be set aside. And one cardinal thing is divine justice. Divine justice. When you don't know God as a God of justice, you want to do Christianity, spirituality, ministry, name it. You want to do it like it's just about me, my soul, be saved. Then let me prosper and be comfortable. It's not about people around. It's not about, it's not about the economic system. It's not about the political structure. It's not about the poor and the oppressed. It's not about the afflicted. It's not about the abuse of people's rights. You won't even feel concerned because you don't know that God is concerned about that. So this is why gradually, gradually from the early church, we began to leave some things behind when we're supposed to progress. But let me give you Jeremiah chapter 9. I hope my introduction is not causing you problems. Jeremiah chapter 9. Just my reflection. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24 and 25. It's very, very, very familiar scripture. If you don't know it before, you're going to love it. Jeremiah chapter 5. Can we read it together? I love it when we read scriptures together. Because some people in Nigeria used to think that I made up the one on the screen. <laughs> yeah, because they get to read a lot of things that they don't know is in their Bible. So... Like they go back and they check their Bible. I don't trust this thing. They go back and say, are you sure it's in the Bible? So let's read it together so you don't think I'm imposing it on you. What does it say? But let him who glories, glory in this. Okay, let's go back to 23. So it started from 23. Can we read it? Come on. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his Now, this we can't a whole lot of things that people are bragging about. 
that don't glory in your what? Wisdom. Don't glory in your might. Don't glory in your riches, in your wealth. That if you have all this, it's nothing to glory about. In other words, you can have all this and you still weigh nothing in God's scale. So let's read the next verse. Can we read it together? What does it say? Verse uh, 24. But let him who glories, glory in this. What is that? That he understands and knows me. <laughs> Come on now. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in this I delight, says the Lord. Did you hear that? So God is saying, the only thing I want you to brag and be proud of and be committed to building up is that you know me and understand me as I really am. Not as religion and tradition teach you. Because religion creates God according to our imagination. Okay, God made us in his image. We're making God according to our imagination. According to our own image of our mind. So God is saying, I want you to know me, understand and know me that I am the Lord, that this is, these are the things I'm committed to. What does he commit to? I exercise loving kindness. That's mercy, compassion. Do you know you can be religious without being compassionate? I keep going back to the example. The priest and the Levite that saw a man robbed, left half dead. They were so in hurry to go do ministry. Now, what you don't know is that, because I'm one of them, <laughs> they said, only God knew how sinful this man is. That's why the robber caught up with him. He doesn't pray. He doesn't come to synagogue. You see that? Good for you. <laughs> that, that may be one of the reasons. But another person said, they're saying, this area is dangerous. If I stay to help him, I will be the next victim. Are you getting it? Or my engagement is more important than this one person. So, you can, you can fill in the gap. <laughs> but this is the point. The priest and the Levites, religious elites, did not understand and know that God would be feeling a sense of compassion, of empathy. That this is someone made by me in my image, has a purpose to fulfill. This is someone being destroyed by people who don't know me. I wish someone who knows me will know how I feel about him. I'm buying them to do something. And that would have been the greatest kind of service you can do to God. Come on now. Amen. That would be more than seven hours of praying. For power. Or offering 1,000 anima. As if God is going to eat the, the, the barbecue. <laughs> He's not going to eat it anyway. I want you to know that I exercise loving kindness. Judgment here is justice. And what again? And righteousness. In the earth, these are the things I delight in. 
Oh, Lord God, help me. Are you hearing God? These are the things I'm interested in. I want on your own because this is, this is a whole curriculum. You can do a doctorate thesis on it. I want you to get to scriptures and see the places where God said, I've had enough of your religious offerings and sacrifices. I've had enough of your feast. I've had enough of your fasting. I'm not interested. He said it in black and white. He said, go back to the things I delight in. It's you enjoying your religiosity. I'm not enjoying it. You're looking at me like, where's this guy coming from? Zechariah chapter 8, verse 7. Let me defend myself. Let me redeem my image. <laughs> Let me try to redeem my image. Right? Zechariah chapter 8, verse 7. Are we there? Zechariah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Say, Lord, help me embrace the spirit of justice. Can I, do you know where Zechariah is? Yeah. I know some of those stuff. I remember the first time I had Habakkuk. I said, Habakkuk, what? <laughs> some of those names, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whatever. Look at this. Can we read it together? Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. What does he say? Behold, I saved my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. Let's go ahead. Come on now. God is speaking. I will bring them back. And they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Okay, let's go ahead. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hand be strong. You have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophet who spoke in the day. The day the foundation was laid. For the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. Let's go ahead, verse 10. Come on now. What does he say? For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace from the enemy, from whosoever went out or came in. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. So God is wanting a social reengineering. In how people were relating with themselves. So I brought you thus far. This is what is happening. I don't want that to continue. Now let's go back to chapter 7 verse 8. Let's go to chapter 7 verse 8. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Uh, no, no. Chapter 7 verse 8. Not 8, 7 now. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying. What does he say to Zechariah? Thus says the Lord of hosts. Come on, read it out. Execute justice. So mercy and compassion. Everyone. Can you read it again? Please, 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 please. Can you read it, everybody? Thus says the Lord of hosts. Execute true justice. Show mercy. Compassion. Everyone to his name. Let's read the next verse. Let's read the next verse. He's not going to leave you hanging. Come on now. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Can we read verse 11? Is there anything more? Can we read it? But they refused to heed. 
They shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. They said, that's not the kind of sermon we want to hear. That's not the kind of preaching we want to hear. They didn't give up religion. So they choose to do the wrong thing that God doesn't need the light in. God state clearly, this is what I'm interested about. And he said, no. God says, what is important to me is that you know me as a God of justice. If you read Jeremiah, from Jeremiah 5, Jeremiah 4, verse 22, Jeremiah 8, verse 7, God kept saying that these people don't know me. See, the problem I have is that my people don't know me. Look at 4.22. Jeremiah 4.22, for instance. What does it say? For my people are foolish. So if I said this now, you say this Nigerian has a big mouth. This is God that said his own people are foolish. He was not being insultive. He was just being direct. Thank you. <laughs> My people are foolish. They have not known me. That's God's definition of holy. You can be a foolish professor. Oh, no, a professor of fool. It just means you are professing fools. Foolishness. You are professing foolishness. You are a professor. You are, I mean, you get the point, but you are professing fully. God says, if you don't know me. And this knowing him is not religious doctrine. My people are foolish. They don't know me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. Right? You want me to bring more dangerous scriptures? <laughs> I think you should choose this ones. <laughs> Okay, check Jeremiah 8. I remember this guy. When did we meet? Was he here last year or where? Is, it, is that the reverend? Is that the evangelist? You've got the punk here now. You didn't have this last year. Yeah, I remember. Huh? Oh, yeah. You were on stage. Yeah. When you're on stage, you're dangerous. You're different. Now you're looking gentle. You make me look like I'm the bad guy. Some, some of you sitting there are more deadly. All right. So, get the spirit of justice and things will never remain the same. Church will not remain the same. Religion will not remain the same. Our society will not... At workplace, things will not remain the same. And it's just, just embrace the spirit. So, look at Jeremiah 8 verse 7. I'm trying to use my... My strategy of remembering scripture to help you connect. Even the stock, animals of the heavens, they know their appointed times. The turtle dove, the swift, the swallow, they observe the time of their migration. That's what the translation says. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So the crisis of God is not about what the devil is doing. It's that his people are not resonating with him. They are busy doing the wrong thing. 
right, so let me, let me take it back to the beginning. Wherever we stop, you will stand up and pray and say, I'm embracing the spirit of justice. Okay, because when you embrace that spirit, it's self-explanatory. The spirit will teach you better than I can do. <laughs> Did you get what I'm saying? It's not theoretical. Nobody taught me. But the Lord showed me, you're doing the wrong thing. You're not seeing me as I'm really. You, you're not getting what I'm interested in. That has made me different from every preacher that is in my, you know, my constituency. I'm not interested in what they're interested in. Most of them. Because I know God is not interested. Like many are interested in raising funds when they go to places. And I know God is interested in raising people, not raising funds. Are you getting what I'm saying? Do I need money? I, I don't even know. <laughs> because he says you can be rich. I'm foolish. So I think I need God more than I need money. So, since we're in Africa, let's, let's be friendly. In America, I tell America, I say, I didn't come for your dollars. I came with my return ticket. <laughs> I know you call yourself first world, and you call us third world. America, uh, South Africa is not third world. Anyone that calls South Africa third world is not serious. You have to find where to put South Africa. Between first and third, or wherever. It's somewhere, but it's not third. It's not f- is it first? So I'll let you fix that. I don't want to lose my visa, so I'm not going to reach South Africa. It's mixed. Oh, so I tell them, they call my country third world, right? And I say, yeah, that's why I'm sentenced and committed to assessing third heaven. And revelations that come from third heaven is higher than first world, oh, not first heaven. <laughs> Ah, yeah. So if you are in first world and you get deceived, you may just stay with first heaven. But when you are living in third world like me, you need extraordinary faith to do ordinary things. <laughs> to live ordinary life, you need extraordinary faith. In first world, you don't need faith at all. All right. So since we are home, let, let's talk as friends. We don't need to confront one another, right? Can you say with me, say, my God God is the God God of justice. justice. If that enters your marriage, there will be fairness and equity. Is that right? There will be sensitivity to one another. There will be mutual respect. If you just know that the God you're dealing with and you're at his mercy is a God of justice and he frowns at every element of injustice. You know, I think, I think you need that. When you are getting old, like I'm going to be 60 very soon. That's why I allow more white hair to come. I told GD this morning, I said, my white hair comes intentionally. So one came here, I said, okay, so that they will know I'm not as young as the black hair looks. Then when we started advocating for this girl in captivity, I told my wife, I need more white to come so they can respect me. 
So by next year when I celebrate 60 or two years time, maybe the whole thing will be covered. So when I come in two years time, all right, so let's leave that. <laughs> when you're getting old, I have a daughter. She just graduated with her brother. And uh, so, you know, girls, they can approach their dad anyhow. The, the guys are more considerate. My sons, they, they're more careful. They're more considerate. So my daughter cares for me, the two young ones. But they tackle me. They ask for anything. They, don't, they just believe everything is there. Like, like the youngest one, <laughs> she's, she's going to be seven, Isabella. She saw a new Range Rover that someone, somebody used to carry us in another church. So she entered, she kept quiet, she was checking everything. <laughs> so when we finished the trip, she came out. She said, no, no, before we came out, we're seeing the car. She whispered to me and the mom said, you got to get this type of car. I said, this is the latest Range Rover. I said, yes, you have to get it. I said, do you know how much it costs? Where are we going to get the money? She said, even mommy alone can buy it. <laughs> if mommy alone can buy it. You think I don't know? <laughs> so it's with that mindset they ask me for stuff. So, and I don't want to ruin their faith, so they don't know how much I have. So just keep overrating me. Keep, okay. Like Eric overrates me, exaggerate when he's introducing me. Sometimes he says I'm prophet. Another time he says I'm apostle. Another time he says I'm daddy. Another time he says I'm his friend. So I'm as confused as you are. <laughs> so, you know, one preacher, he gave a story. He gave a story of a lady who was a house help, was serving the house. And she was getting old and she wasn't married. So one day, uh, the master of the house came and said, I heard, I heard you're getting married. I heard now there's a suitor, you're getting married. Oh, she said, I'm not aware, but I like the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I accept the rumor. <laughs> I need the rumor. <laughs> So, all you're saying about me is rumors. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I embrace the rumor. So, my daughter came to me and she wanted this iPhone, the latest iPhone. So, I, I was trying to convince her. What's the difference between, do you see me with iPhone? Don't you want to be like me? He said, that is Android. I said, I don't know the difference. He said, there are a lot of things iPhone can do that your phone cannot do. She, went on. she says, okay, she's going to do a, a, a PowerPoint presentation to me. <laughs> so I said, by the way, how much are we talking about? When she mentioned the amount, I said, ha! <laughs> so I was finding how to wriggle out. And she had come at me. I said, and you say, you are the love of my life. I'm the love of your life. I'm your one and only. And now, just iPhone. <laughs> so I'm trying to tap my native intelligence. So I said, I'm going to America. Don't you want the one from America? It's going to be better than the one in Nigeria. I said, oh, yeah, that's good. So I went to America. 
The day before I was going to return, I told my host, just take me somewhere they're selling iPhone and let's find something we can tell my daughter on phone. I can't buy it, but we have to tell her something. <laughs> that I made effort. So we went to the place. The guy took me not to the main iPhone shop. So we got one and they said, this one cannot work in Nigeria. This is customized for America. Did you get the point? So I called my daughter. Olive, talk to my host. <laughs> We're trying to get your iPhone. Say, hey, daddy, thank you. I said, no, 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 talk to my host. So my host said, see, daddy is coming tomorrow. We can't get the other shop. The one we have cannot work in Nigeria. And even the amount is more than what they're selling in Nigeria. So she was convinced. So I came back home. No iPhone. She still wanted the iPhone. So I pushed it to mommy. Mommy tried to convince her. She refused. She would leave mommy. She would come to me. So I now use justice. That's the reason I told you the story. I say in this family, there has to be justice. And equity. And fairness. If only you, you use iPhone. That will cause this amount. Your brother Theophilus is not using. Isaac is not using. Ola is not using. I'm not using. Mommy is not using. That's injustice. Let's go to the Bible. <laughs> Let me tell your neighbor embrace the spirit of justice. You know, she got the iPhone finally, but not through me. <laughs> yeah. I said, by your faith, if you use your faith, all of us will use our faith. But if we get it from the family account, everybody must get it. Did you get the point? Justice. Then she says, oh, I'm going to finish my national service now. I need to travel just on vacation. It's been so stressful in Nigeria. So I said, how much are we talking about? Where are we talking about? So I said, but everybody must go for the same vacation. So you see why I'm loving this justice stuff. <laughs> so I'm loving it. I said, when you start advocating for justice, doors will open. But now, do you know that from the time of creation, what God demonstrated is equity. Why will God say, the man I want to make must have my image? Wow. Fairness. He's going to have a body of dust, of clay. But whatever I am inside, he must have inside. I want him to be my likeness. Did you get that? So even in the act of creation, God was establishing the principle of equity. Right? So let me take it a little further. Because if you don't get the theological basis established, rooted, your philosophical ideologies will be thwarted, will be, will be not be accurate. And then your conviction and your passion will be weak. Will be weak. So let's say justice in the garden. There was equity when God made man. Now man committed high treason. 
by doing nothing when the enemy came calling. He was supposed to have dominion in the garden. Over everything, whether the thing is flying or crawling or any beast, whatever, however Satan, whatever form, he will take over a beast to come. God says, you have dominion to subdue. But he didn't use the dominion. He didn't use it. I think there is more of what we have that we are not using. And we're busy praying and fasting for what we don't have. The first time I was asked to preach in Europe, many years ago, you remember, it was from there they invited me to South Africa. Yeah, they asked, the theme of the program was the new anointing. Anointing in that part of Europe, Austria is Salbong. So I don't, something Salbong. The new anointing. And, you know, I needed to impress them. You know, I'm coming for the first time. Europe. All of them are white. I said, these white people must take me serious. <laughs> so I said, God, what should I tell them about new anointing that they have not had before? So I prayed. And the Lord told me, when you get there, ask them, what have they done with the old anointing? <laughs> See, they want a new anointing. They haven't even scratched the old anointing. That's what open mouth does for me in two nations. <laughs> so you're busy looking for what you don't have. But there's so much of what we have. They were not tapping into. So in the garden, Adam didn't use the authority and the dominion he had. Right? And we saw that he was rather accusing the wife and God, blaming God, blaming the wife. But look at the principle of justice. Judah is a lawyer. And I learned a whole lot of the jurisprudence of, of civilized nation. It's based on biblical principle. So God comes. I want to ask you a question. Did God see Eve and Adam eating the fruit? Just to follow that narrative. He saw them. Because he's omniscient, he sees everything. He's omnipresent. It's not when he starts talking that he's present. God has been here, and you knew it not. So God has been there. They just didn't know. They turned their back on him, but he was present. God don't turn away. God don't go away. It's with that turn from him. And he's still present. So he saw them engaging with the serpent. He saw them eating the fruit. He saw them when they discovered they were naked. He saw them when they went to hide. He saw them when they covered themselves with fig leaves. Is that correct? That's a fashion statement made of leaves. You know how long it's going to last. Yeah, so anyway. But look at the spirit of justice. It starts with fair hearing. You, it doesn't matter what you know. You don't judge or condemn anybody until you hear him or her. Adam! You mean he's not seeing him? Where are you? I will never deprive you of your voice. Well, I'm here. I had your voice. I was afraid. I went to hide because I'm naked. Who told you? 
He knew all that transpired. By the way, have you eaten what I told you not to eat? The woman you gave me. Oh, really? Woman, how did it happen? Come and talk to me. Say fair hearing. So every time your wife is trying to talk, I say, I don't want to hear. I've made up my mind. Keep quiet. I'm the man in this house. You are ungodly. There's no spirit of justice. Are we talking? <laughs> Even if you catch the person in the very act with the two in the hand, before you act, you must see here the person out. So, to condemn people, to judge people that you have not engaged, that you won't listen to, and you don't even want to hear what they are saying. It's not only that you can't help them, you will not only hurt them, but you will do it unjustly. And that don't mean they are right. Because Adam was not right. Eve was not right. But the spirit of justice must take effect. Am I right? Am I on, my brother? Am I on? Yeah. I just need to know because you look authoritative. So I need to know. <laughs> Listen to this. But do you know that God was fair to even Satan? To the serpent? Listen. This is how I know God is not from my village. The way God handled that whole thing in the, in, the, in the garden, he should have asked me for advice. Do you need to ask them, have you eaten? If what happened? Do you need to ask all those questions? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they won't even stay in the garden by the time I'm coming. They, no, nobody will ask them to stay. No, we won't ask them. Oh, no. God, God, God. You see, talking. You see, talking. And they had times to talk. <laughs> anyway, so God did all that. And I said, God, is this how you judge? You really want to punish a woman. And you say, your heart will be towards your husband. Is that how to punish a woman? Wow. I said, you have asked. Oh, you mislead your husband to do contrary to my will? You never see your husband again. <laughs> <laughs> Life suppression. You go to the east, man, go to the west. You will learn how not to enjoy marriage because you did not obey me. Then I will say, aha, that sounds like where I'm coming from. <laughs> Then he wanted to curse Adam. And he's saying, he didn't curse Adam direct. Read your Bible. He said, the ground is cursed for your sake. He said, I refuse to curse because I see my nature in you. He said, I would rather curse the ground. You will struggle. You will sweat. Then you will. Did you get the point? Then he says, you know, you will eat. You are cursing somewhere and you say, you will eat. You will eat. You will eat. I think you are still eating. <laughs> I would say, listen, there will be food, but there will be disease in your mouth. You'll never be able to eat again. That mouth you used to eat the fruit, will not eat another fruit. But God is a God of justice and fairness and mercy. Even in judgment, he remembers mercy. 
But I said he was feared to the serpent. He says, I permit you to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Before he bruises your head. And bruising the heel is what happened on the cross. He said, if I defeat you and allow the seed of the woman to bruise your head without allowing you to do your worst or your best, it won't be fair. So allow conflict between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise the heel, but he will bruise your head. Fairness. And if you can go for the head, you can try it. So there's level playing ground. Talk to me. Say, my God is a God of justice. So that even when you are provoked and you see evil happening, the spirit of justice must still be on. That people are wrong does not mean you should treat them unjustly. That's you, that's, the Bible is against homosexuality and whatever you does not mean you hate LGBT people. I just told you. All it should show you is that there is darkness. We can't even distinguish ourselves. Or there's complication. There's crisis inside them. A priest is the one that can have compassion on the ignorant. Check your Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 5. I've counseled, I've, I've, I've had time with people struggling with same-sex issue. Are you listening? It's always, there's always a breakthrough. If the spirit of justice, the spirit of compassion, if there is love, God is love. And love is light. This is why judges, they take time painstakingly. They don't follow sentiments. They examine the facts. They follow the process. They call for witnesses. They call for evidence. They don't want to know what you know. They want to know what you can prove. You didn't get it. Okay, so, like in my country, there are, there are politicians. There are president, current, and former. There are governors. There are politicians that everyone, they know they are corrupt. We all know they are corrupt. Their family, their friends know they are corrupt. Everybody know. But you can't convict them. Because when you go to court and you tell the judge, judge, you know that so and so is corrupt. He said, how do you know? He said, everybody, who doesn't know? <laughs> they said, okay. Evidence. Can you prove it? And they have learned how to steal without leaving a trace. It is difficult to convict a corrupt Nigerian politician. If not impossible. In fact, now they know how to be corrupt and use the law to say they must not be tried. So, the law, if the law will run its course, it's not, people should not be 
judge or condemn by what we know. It has to be by what we can prove. Justice. So God was fair to the suffering. God was fair to the woman. God was fair to the man. We can go on and on. How about Adam? Look at our beggar partner, Abraham. Do you know the first person in the Bible, as it is a ring, the first person that is called a prophet is Abraham. Adam and Eve and the rest of them, they were prophetic because they could hear God and they could speak to God. Did you get that? That's been prophetic. So, the ideal human should be prophetic. To be human, as God wants man to be, he should be able to hear God. And that's been prophetic. That's basic. Okay, but after that, people begin to get off and all of that. Genesis chapter 18. Before God called Abraham a prophet in Genesis 20. God was speaking on issue of justice in Genesis 20. There's a king that have taken Abraham's wife. His name is called Abimelech. Are you listening? He took Abraham's wife because Abraham says, my sister. And he's done it before. When things are too tough and Abraham wants to find bread. He says, just adjust the truth. Don't tell lie. Just say part of the truth and just a little adjustment. And when they say, oh, you say it's your sister. I say, yes, it's my sister. And, you know, and he's not wrong, but he didn't say the whole truth. Anyway, so he says it's his sister. And the king said, okay, we'll treat you well. We'll take your wife. I mean, we'll take your sister to be my wife. And then God came in the night, Genesis 20, to the king. And he said, the woman you have taken is somebody's wife. You are a dead man. <laughs> no, he's there in Genesis 20. You're a dead man. You have taken. And the, the king said, Oh God, but I've not touched her. But the man told me he's his sister. It, it, in the, in the uh, how did he say that? He says, In the sincerity of my heart, in the integrity of my heart, I took. He, I, I didn't want to take someone's wife. And God said, I know you didn't touch her, and I know what you're talking about. Return the woman to the husband. Because he's a prophet. And he will pray for you. Then you will be saved. Do you see that see, justice is that God is dealing with? God didn't ask about the religion of that king. Say, the man is a prophet. If you take his wife, I will have to judge you. If you return the wife to him and treat him well, he will pray for you. So the first job of a prophetic person is to know God, hear God, and pray for people. It's not even predicting disaster for people. Just harassing people about your prophecy. Nobody can rest because you say you're a prophet. The first prophet, God said he prays for people. Without charge. Anyway, so did you see justice there? But look at God. Before God spoke for Abraham, in Genesis 18, when Abraham was going to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, I'm going to go and check if all the evil I'm hearing is so. Abraham knew that when God gets to Sodom, his justice will make him wipe them out. Is that right? 
Then Abraham said, God, we need to talk before you go. Will the God of the whole earth not do right? Will you destroy the good with the wicked? That would be unjust. God, you can't do that. He wasn't saying, God, I beg you. I beg you. My, my, uh, my cousin is there. I go, go, go. You, you know, I have been doing many sacrifices. He just came on the angle of justice. You, the judge of the whole, are you going to judge wrongly? If you find so, so many righteous people, you will still wipe them out? God said, no, I won't. And he kept pushing. He kept pushing until 10. When he got to 10, he fell. Let me be fair on God too. <laughs> so even in intercession, you need that sense of justice. Praise the Lord. So let's see where we end. Let me give you some homework. If you're interested, you go and read Exodus 22. You know, as a matter of fact, <laughs> let me extend it. <laughs> you can start from Exodus 20. You know Exodus 20 is where he gave the Ten Commandments for the first time. Now you check the Ten Commandments. There are about three or four that deals with God. The rest is about how you deal with people. And even the one you think is about God, is still for your sake. Don't have another God. Because you'll be worshipping a demon. And it's not going to be well with you. It's not just that I'm going to punish you. If you have another God, something behind that God will destroy you. So it's not that God has a complex problem. That if you worship another God, you feel insecure. That's not the problem. Is he trying to defend you? Okay? Don't swear with my name in vain because you'll be using my name to deceive people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Rest on the Sabbath day. Is he tired? It's about you. So, before he starts saying, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. So, you check the whole commandment. God is just still being just and fair and committed to your welfare. It's not about him. Because there's nothing you do really that you can reach him and hurt him. So it starts from Genesis 20. You go to 21 and you see it has, it has to do with issues of equity, of right balance in business. You go to 22, he now begin to speak categorically about how you treat the widow, the orphan, the, the, the strangers. So that's why this whole homo, uh, xenophobic whatever, it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Because God says, even you, you are a stranger on earth. You must not treat strangers wrongly. It's in Genesis 22. It's in Genesis 23. And God was saying, these are the things I'm committed to. I want you to be committed to this thing. They, they were more interested in killing animal and burning animal for sacrifice. And you know that was a problem of King Saul. God wanted him to go and carry out justice in 1 Samuel chapter 15 against the Amalekite. He was interested in the animal he would preserve. 
for sacrifice. And the Bible says, is God interested in sacrifice and fats of rams and offering as he's interested in you just obeying him and delighting in what he delights? And he said, that is rebellious. That is stubbornness. That is witchcraft. Because you think I'm more interested in your religious offering than executing justice. So we can go on and on. If you read Micah chapter 5, verse 8, as Micah chapter 6, verse 8, I knew this like 30 something years ago. Because the man that taught me in Bible school quoted it and I couldn't forget. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Hear what it says. Hear what it says. He has shown you, oh man. Come on, not the woman now. Oh man. <laughs> Come on, tell your neighbor, oh man. <laughs> he has shown you. What is good? And what does the law require of you? But to do what? Justly. And to do what? To love mercy and to walk humbly with you. Humility means I don't know it all. I don't have all the facts. Is that right? I only know in parts. Only God knows everything. You must also love mercy. And you must do justice. And God said, what is complicated there? I've shown you. What is complicated? So let's end with Isaiah 42. I wanted to read it last night. and We, didn't talk. Let's, we need to read that before we pray. Isaiah 42. I wanted us to read it last night. Let's end with that. So if you use this background to go and consider the ministry of Jesus... You see that Jesus is the quintessential Lord of justice. He died for the sake of justice. That the sin of humanity cannot just be wiped out. Somebody must lay down his life, shed the blood, through death, conquer death. Through death, go to hell. And go. You can't just say, God, you can do everything, just do it. We don't know to go, to go through the process. So Jesus used his life for divine justice. Are we talking? But you check his ministry. He went about doing good, delivering those who were oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, as at that time, the gospel was not that he died, he resurrected. Is that when God reigns, there will be fairness for everybody. The kingdom, the reign of God has come. And everybody needs to change. I said that's what the spirit was on him to do. To bind up the brokenhearted, To deliver the oppressed. To open the prison. People that are in unjust condition. Not just spiritual. And he demonstrated it. The woman caught in adultery. He was not just saying, well, we need to cast out the demon of adultery. He has to execute justice to save her life first before teaching the woman doctrine. Now we can go on and on. Is that right? But Isaiah 42, let's end with that. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delight. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring I lost you there. I put my spirit upon him. What will the spirit make him to do? To, he will bring justice. Say, put a better translation. 
uh, NIV, NLT, whatever. You see that? I put my spirit upon him and he will do what? Gentiles, they are the nations. So this is the function of the spirit. When we say the Holy Spirit is the spirit of burning, the spirit born with passion for justice, for fairness. So if the people in your country are not experiencing fairness and justice, and you are not concerned, you are not committed, the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit upon you, is not being used meaningfully. The people around you are suffering deprivation. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Through some unjust structure. See, structural sin and political sin and economic sin is worse than people's personal sin. Political sin and structural sin force some people to commit some personal sin. It's happening in my country. That there are ladies that wouldn't have tried prostitution if there was fairness and equity and justice. There are young men that wouldn't have tried robbing. But we pick those one up and lock them up in jail and kill them on without even trying them. And the people creating the system that compel them to commit personal sin for survival have been celebrated. When the spirit comes on you, you can no longer be indifferent about injustice. The least you can do is to speak out. Am I talking to you? And for long, the church has been blinded with religion. We think that what God enjoys is our singing. As if there's a shortage of singing in heaven. I'm serious. Singing is good. But all of that is to edify yourself, to steer you up to action. Church is a place of empowerment. Because that's what you need to go and do outside. I can go on. But I'm saying we need to embrace the spirit of justice. I repeat what I said last night. That's the lingua franca that the nations understand. They don't understand the language of your religion and your doctrine. They don't understand your religious practices and tradition. When you start addressing what connects every human, the dignity in every human being. Am I talking to you? When you, are, you start saying that what is good for one is good for all. When you start saying the life of everyone counts. When you start saying there should be no gender discrimination. There should be no discrimination on the basis of color or race. When you start saying don't use your privilege advantage to deprive the less privileged. Without peace, there can be... I mean, without justice, there can be no peace. And the church now needs to start thinking out of the box. I was with some leaders of the Every Nation yesterday, and they told me how they took the issue of land uh, matter to the parliament. And it's brilliant effort. Because for a long time, the church would just think, our job is preach the gospel, do discipleship, you know, and all of those things are good. But those are ground of raising an army to go do something. But I said, when you go to the parliament as a church, you already carry a tag. It limits you. 
If you want to speak to Jesus in your nation and the nations of the world, you must create the right structure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's like you want to build an ark that can rise above the flood. Many structures didn't survive the, the, the flood. Only the ark rise. The things we're speaking to in our nation, speaking to the presidency, speaking to the politicians, speaking across board, we're not speaking as a church. God asked us to put an initiative in plan. I think we mentioned it here. Catalyst for Peace and Justice. Catalyst for Global Peace and Justice Initiative. It's a civil society organization. It's an NGO. We collaborate with non-faith-based organizations. If you are committed to human rights and the dignity of every human, if you are fighting for fairness and justice, we don't care your religion. We work together. So I don't speak to them from the context of church. That's part of divine intelligence. That's part of the divine intelligence. So we have to think out of the box. We have to think out of the box. If not, injustice, corruption, wickedness, we consume our environment. We have nowhere to do church or to preach to people to be converted. There are two sins. Doing nothing and doing the wrong thing. It's time to do something. But it's time to stop doing just church thing inside the church. There's work to do outside. Let me tell you, if you come into this, you have less trouble with temptation. I'm too busy to be tempted now. What time do I have to arrange with a woman to meet me somewhere? And <laughs> <laughs> Even if I want to do it, there's no chance. <laughs> the fire is burning. There are too many people to attend to. Too many places. Let's rise up. Let's rise up. Let's rise up. That's why you are saying, God, set me on fire. Give me your passion, your zeal. Give me your nature. Give me your mind, the mind of Christ. That we no longer look the other way when people are suffering. You see, good work, being good to people cannot save you. But when you are saved, you must do good works. You are not saved by doing good works. But you are saved to do good works. You are not saved to do nothing. You are not saved to just remain in church. And doing everything about church. You are meant to be the light of the world out there. You are meant to make a difference in the nation. And let me tell you. There's something little you can do. What you can do, I cannot do. What I can do, you may not be able to. Just lift your hand and say, Lord, I embrace the spirit of justice. I embrace your nature. I delight in what you delight in. I don't want to occupy myself doing the wrong thing. I don't want to be guilty of doing nothing. Oh God, I want to do what you want me to do. I embrace the spirit of justice. I embrace your nature. I embrace your mandates. I embrace your spirit. I embrace your spirit. Come on, speak to the Lord now. If you can pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Ask the Lord, fill me with your spirit. 
In Jesus' name. Listen, as I bring up Pastor Eric, remember this. Listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Say that to me. Say the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Touch your chest. Say the spirit of the Lord is within me. To do what? To bring justice to the nations. Not just to your nation. And now there is a platform. Social media have given platform to everybody. Everybody has a platform. Your voice needs to be heard. One little thing you can do will make a difference. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 of this same scripture. Help me put verse 4. To bring justice to the nations. That's why the Spirit is upon you. And when you are doing that, look at that. He will not falter nor lose heart until what? Justice prevail throughout the earth. That when you keep saying, I am depressed, I am discouraged, I cannot go on, I am this. Because you are not committed to justice. When the spirit is on you and you say, Holy Ghost, I want to bring justice to the nation. You will not falter. You will not be discouraged. You will not lose hearts. You will not be wounded. You will not be depressed. The spirit that make a tender plan to break a dry ground. That same spirit is a sustaining spirit. It's an empowering spirit. It's a spirit of boldness. It's a spirit of courage. It's a spirit of the zeal of God. It's a spirit by which, by which the increase of his kingdom with justice and fairness and mercy to all keep increasing. Broaden your vision. Lift your hands and say, Holy Spirit, take me over and take me further. Take me over and take me further. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.